hard to turn it off, right? Right now, yeah. Okay, let's leave it. <laughs> okay, uh, last night, uh, I mean, this is last night. <laughs> uh, here, uh, from bondage to freedom, and uh, one of, uh, of you after the lecture came to me and asked, what does that freedom look like? Uh, and then uh, some people might think that from bondage to freedom, so it just happens. No, this is whole process. Probably this process continues until uh, we uh, die. And it, the difference is that, I mean, this is whole spectrum here. But whatever enslaved you before, you completely controlled by that before. But as you move along towards the freedom, what used to control you does not control you anymore. You know that. And then you have better control over it. And then before you were completely controlled by, for example, materialism. You were completely controlled by materialistic attitude before. And without it, you could not survive. But over the years, the power of the materialism that had grip on you start losing the power of controlling you. And then you become freer from that. So you are not completely away from uh, materialism in, in that way. But that materialism is in, in, a, in a way in your control. In that way, more and more you become freedom. Once you become totally freedom, uh, free, then materialism doesn't bother you anymore. And so that, that kind of movement from bondage to freedom. So uh, whatever enslaves, you know that materialism does not give you full satisfaction. But at one point, you realize that you know that it doesn't help you, but you do it anyway. Because you are so controlled by it. So in that way, little by little after a while, you have enough empowerment and freedom to be able to say no at some, some certain point. No, I'm not going to let it totally control my life. Or it is darkness, same thing. Or some sinfulness uh, that uh, controls you, uh, same thing. And all these things, you become more and more free uh, from that. Uh, do you understand? Okay, so this is a whole process that we are entering into. So if we uh, go over a little bit uh, of two last two lectures, the first uh, we said the life, uh, you are who you are because of all the things that happened to you before. Every event, every emotion, everything that happened in you kind of shaped who you are. So meaning of life cannot be defined in general term. Meaning of life has, has to be understood in a very, very specific form. Because the meaning of life is being formed, being made, being shaped. And it's continuously being shaped until you die. It's not finished. 
The meaning of life is not finished. You will discover the meaning of life much more deeply as years go by. And the purpose will become clearer and clearer. And then that's what's happening in your life. So it is important for you to really pay attention to everything that is going on in your life. Even though that, uh, e even though that uh, really scares you sometimes, sometimes negative, even negative events, we believe that even the negative events will not crush you to the point of being destroyed. I believe that God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. I believe that. That means even the negative things will help you, help your meaning of life be shaped and formed in you. So whatever events that happen, that itself does not have value. But what it does in the future changes the value. For example, something very negative happened to you and you used to feel that, oh, this really destroyed me. You feel that. And I'm not going to go any further because of this. At that point, if you don't go anywhere, yes, that negative thing that happened to you has a negative value. And it really destroys you. But let's say because of the negative things, you were turned around. And then later, using the negative uh, events for your new realization and new understanding and new transformation. Then the negative things, the value of that negative thing that happened in you changes value. It helped you become better. So events themselves do not have the value. But what it does to your life. So I believe that whatever happened to you, you are not just uh, passive victims of it. You can turn it around and then you are agent of creating new uh, life uh, in you. So that is the first night uh, we looked at it. And then we studied different stories. Everybody writes a different story. We are not on conveyor belt. We all make different stories. We all write different stories. And we examined Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph. They, they are all Bible figures, but their life is radically different, one from each other. And we uh, recognize so how unique each person's life is. In that same way, everyone's life is very, very unique. And you, can, you are the only one who can write your story. No one, you don't need to follow other people's story. I mean, I'm going to talk about it a little bit uh, later too. Uh, so, uh, stories, uh, the, each one has a very unique story. But... There is a common thread in those stories. And that common uh, thread is all the stories move from bondage to freedom. That's the story of God. All those, your stories move from bondage to freedom. And I pray that. That is your story, and I hope that you continuously work towards that. And then in between, for bondage to go to freedom, there has to be suffering. Suffering is inevitable. 
Like from this mountain top, you see another mountain top, and you want to go to that mountain top. But thing is, you have to go down the valley. Without going down the valley, you cannot go to the next mountain top. So this suffering is a necessary and inevitable part of human life. If you define human being, the human being without explaining suffering aspect of human life, you cannot define what human beings are like. So that's why when God becomes a human being, Jesus took the form of suffering. So Mar uh, Gospel Mark says, suffering servant. So suffering is very much a part of who we are. So when suffering comes to us, suffering, suffering strikes us at the core. That's why it's scary. Suffering does not just, you know, I mentioned this uh, in a wound, you know, it doesn't just, it's not really uh, hurting. Suffering really hits the core and hits every aspect of our life. But suffering also strikes something else. What does it strike? Huh? The compassion of God. The compassion of God is strikes and when the compassion of God is struck, what is released? The grace of God is released. And that's what suffering does. So when you experience suffering, you also experience God's grace. And you also become compassionate. So this compassion is a very unique love. It is not romantic love. It is suffering love. Come and passion. Passion is suffering. Come is together. So you suffer with somebody. That's compassion. So when you have compassion for somebody, then you suffer with that person. That's what compassion is. And then, that this suffering makes us compassionate in some ways. So these are the things that uh, uh, we uh, have uh, looked at. And so today is uh, last. Uh, okay. Uh, a little hot, eh? Huh? And it's stuffy, right? Yeah. Don't fall asleep, okay? <laughs> Steve was doing so much carry this afternoon. <laughs> okay, now. You want to take a break? Huh? Coffee's here. <laughs> For those who are a little bit sleepy, because uh, you just had... Great afternoon, you just ate, and this is time, you know, uh, that you can fall asleep, so. Get some coffee. Yeah, I felt so stuffy, I was falling asleep, so. <laughs> okay, so let us continue. For a life to be meaningful, uh, there have to be at least three elements. One, there has to be something you are passionate about. For the life to be meaningful, there has to be something that you are passionate about. Whatever it is. Two, not only you have passion for it, 
you also have to actively engage in it. You have to do something about it, in other words. I mean, you have great passion for something, but if you don't do anything about it, then that's not really meaningful life. You have to do something about it. And third, what we pursue has to have an objective value. In other words, it has a value not just for you yourself, but more than me, more than yourself. It has to value for other people. These are three elements that all the meaningful lives have uh, look like. And I want you to reflect on that. Uh, 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 and then I'd like to reflect on that uh, this e uh, evening. Albert Camus, in his book, The Myth of Sisyphus, described the absurdity of human life in this way. Myth of Sisyphus is that a man rolls a stone up to the top of a mountain. When he reaches the top, the stone rolls back down to the bottom. And then he rolls back up again, struggling and goes up to the top and it rolls back down. Not just once or twice, but perpetually he does that. That was punishment. So he described human life like that. Sisyphus. We continuously roll up the stone, but at the end what we see is the stone is down there and I have to go down again. I think he critically assessed well the meaninglessness of modern life. The meaningful life is not just fulfilling our function in a given system. Just because you do very well, fulfill that function in that given system, that doesn't mean that you are living a meaningful life. Other, other people may praise you, your co-workers may praise you, but that itself is not a meaningful life. Meaningful life is not just fulfilling given function in a given system. My mother used to work for Tilly's Wallet Factory. All day she stands in front of the conveyor belt. Every day, same thing. Nothing changes. Monday she goes, 8 o'clock, she does. She was, she was uh, uh, doing uh, the pull. Uh, what is pull? Glue. She put glue. <laughs> glue. Until 4 o'clock in, uh, in the afternoon, come home. Next day, she goes there. Same thing, same place, same people. Does the glue. That's not really meaningful life, meaningful job. On Thursday, I, I went to see a doctor for the retinal tear I had, eye problem that I had. More sophisticated job, but it was much different from the assembly line. People are waiting in the waiting room like a product on a conveyor belt, and I was waiting there too. And he calls me, goes in, he put eye drops, goes out, 20 minutes I will call you, I went out. And so eyes, uh, pupils are big now. Now he calls me back. Two minutes, he sees me. You're fine, go. <laughs> Next. You know, it's a, it's a more sophisticated job, but not much different. Meaningful life is more than work. 
We have to find something we are passionate about. It can be work, but it doesn't have to be. We have to think about what we truly value in our life. Nietzsche said, He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. If you... <laughs> if you have a why to live for, you can bear almost any how. I believe that. Strongly if you have why. And the problem is, we don't know what that why is. What is this now? <laughs> Peter. <laughs> Turn on the light. That, that's better. It gets out the dark. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it bothers me. Uh, it's only fluorescent uh, light. You fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah, turn out the light. Oh, yeah. And when I look, uh, looked at uh, biblical figures, I realized one common thing. They all had why to live for. Very clear why. For example, when I uh, see St. Paul, he had a clear why he lives for. You know, uh, you may not uh, necessarily live a life of St. Paul, but he has a clear why. Let me, let me read a passage for you. This is what he said. If anyone, held, anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. You know, up to what he described, in that world, he was the most ideal person He's, he was describing. You know, if, if we talk about here now, he's a graduate of Harvard School, and then after that he did, you know, you know all kinds of uh, credentials he's narrating, narrating. And he says that whatever gains I had, this I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value. He found value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I regard them as rubbish. Refuse. In Korean, tong. <laughs> In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And all these things, why uh, he's saying that, uh, I'm not going to explain today. Uh, from July, when we have Bible study, Philippians we are going to study, I'm going to explain all that later. But at least here, what I want you to see is he has a clear why. 
You may not understand why he has that why, but he has a clear why. How about Jesus? When you look at Jesus' life, do you think that he had clear why? He said this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is why he came to the world. He came to the world to give us abundant life. That was his why. I have come to the world to give you life and life abundantly. Jesus came to give people this why Nietzsche was talking about. To do that, he even chose death. And person who has good reason to live also has a good reason what? To die for. The person who has a good reason to live has a good reason to die for. Freud and Adler, uh, they're mo- uh, both very famous people, each mentioned two important factors that control human life. Freud said that we human beings are living for sex. We are obsessed with sex. Everything is connected with sex. Even your hard working for the job is to do with sex. And everything he explained, either unfulfilled sex, or some kind of sexual desire, uh, the uh, oppressed and de- uh, repressed, and all these things came out because of your desire for sex. I see some point there. When you look at the modern world, we are definitely obsessed with sex. Any commercial you see, all kinds of commercial, even shaving cream, or shaving cream makes sense, but. <laughs> But most ridiculous thing, if you have this, you'll be sexy. You know, everything is about sex. I understand that. I see that uh, uh, in the world. And Adler said, no, no, not just for sex. Human beings basically pursue power. That's what they want. Power, that's what we want. That's what we need. But they are connected. If you have power, you have sex too. Right? <laughs> I mean, all, always they are connected. So they both, I think, saw it right in some ways. But I believe that people do not just live for sex and power. People live for meaning. People search for meaning. And I said that meaning cannot be general. It is different for each person. For each person, the meaning of life is very unique. We have to find that unique passion for our life. As you look back, what have you struggled so much for? Maybe when you look at that very carefully, maybe there's something that you try to achieve. And what was that thing that you wanted to achieve? You might have never articulated what that is, but I think it is important that now you try to articulate it. 
even though it is difficult, but little by little, articulate what you truly value. What really gives you energy, excitement, and make you passionate. What is that? What is at least one thing that you want to do in your life? So that at the end of it, you may not say that my life is robbed. You might not have thought about it lately because you are so caught up with your work or too busy or even too lazy to think. But I think it is helpful for you to sit down and reflect on what it is that you want to do with your life. That makes your life unique. Robert Frost said in his poem, The Road Not Taken is the end part. Two roads diverged in a wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by. And that made all the difference. The reason he took the road less traveled by was what? What is he talking about? I took the road less traveled by. What is he talking about? Huh? Suffering, challenge. Because it is the road only I can take. Not everybody else takes. This is the road that I have to take. That's what it means, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I'm interpreting <laughs> for myself. <laughs> but it makes sense, doesn't it? The road less traveled by. He didn't follow the popular road. He followed the road that he had to take. It is something unique to him. Jesus said a similar thing. What did he say? Take the what road? Narrow road. Not just, he's not just talking about difficult life. He's talking about the road that you need to take. And I call that authentic life. And we are called to live authentic life. Not just popular life. Not just life that all other people are taking. I want to take my life. I want to take my road. That's what authentic life is. And we need to take that authentic life that is less traveled by and that is narrow. And meaning, you can find that there. In a general life, you can't find it. We don't walk the road just because it's there. We don't walk the road because everybody else takes that road. We take our road and we intentionally choose which road to take. Some roads look beautiful and glamorous but may not be your road. And if you take the road which is not yours, 
you'll be miserable. There's a Korean movie called Pacemaker. How many of you saw that movie? Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It moved me. It may not be the most well made movie. Some scenes are a little cheesy. But it still moved me. The first time I heard the word pacemaker in Marathon. There are the people who make the pace for the main runner up to 30 kilometers. After 30 kilometers, they don't need to run. Their job is done. They're running for the main runner. And after 30 kilometers, they don't even run. You know, they don't even, some of them don't even finish the race. They don't run for themselves. They run for the main runner. The main character in that movie is a pacemaker. He never lived a passionate life, even though he was very talented. He just had to do his best up to 30 kilometers, and that's it. And his younger brother hated the fact that his brother could do much better, but he didn't. He knew that his brother had so much talent. When they were young, they were really poor. So there was uh, uh, this scene, there was a running competition. First prize was some kind of expensive uh, stuff. They don't care. But second prize is what? Many boxes of ramen. <laughs> they were so poor, they were so hungry, they had to get that ramen. You know, how many ramen do we have left now? <laughs> yeah, they wanted, so they agreed to a sign. So he runs, he cannot uh, run too fast, nor he could run too slow. So uh, perfect pace he had to uh, make. And so he made a sign. So younger brother opened the umbrella, he runs fast. Close umbrella, he slows down. That's how. And then at the end, they won the race. And they got the ramen so happy, came home, and then ate all night. <laughs> and they finally, uh, they, at the end of the movie, the older brother runs in the London Olympic as a pacemaker. The younger brother was so disappointed that he said he would not come to the competition to see him running. After running 30 kilometers, it was time for him to stop. But somehow, this time, he wanted to run for himself, not for anybody else. So he continued. But his body condition was not fit for more than 30 kilometers. So he fell and he struggled. And then, in that struggle, he saw his brother standing in the crowd. And all of a sudden, he was energized. And then, younger brother opened his umbrella. Oh. <laughs> this is where I cry. You know, as you get older, I cry a lot. 
you know, young me's there. You know, oh God, you know, I cry a lot, right? It's really a little cheesy there, you know. What makes me cry anyway? So he opened the umbrella and then he started running and he won the race. My friends, how often do we live like a pacemaker? Instead of, living, instead of living fully to the potential, we set our boundary and don't even think about going further. This is good. As long as I have a secure job, I can eat, I can die. I have enough money. Mediocre life. Moses, he refused to respond to God's call. How many times do you live as a pacemaker? Not running for yourself, but running just for safety. When you have something you're passionate about, find it. When you don't know it, find it. What makes you excited? If you don't have it, what is life? If you don't have something you're passionate about, what is life? Second, not only you need to find passion, in life, you have to actively engage it once you know it. Once you know what you're passionate about, do something about it. Don't just sit on it. So last week, I decided to start something. Not running. <laughs> Jazz flute. I took out flute again, and I wanted to learn jazz flute. I don't have time to take lessons, so I bought a book with CD, and then going from one chapter, I won't, I won't be good, but I'll do something about it. You get up and do something about it. We give our whole self to do something about it. Make a decision and act on it. Endless effort. Never give up. And I believe that that's courage and that's faith. Courage and faith, they go together. The disciples, after finding true meaning of life, they threw away their net concretely. They did something. That's courage and that's faith. Abraham when he was called, he left Ur, his hometown. That's courage and that's faith. And Moses, when he was called, it was ridiculous for an old man to go into Egypt with a staff and fight against the organized systematic uh, army. But he did it. He did something about it. David... With a stone, he went out, actually, to fight against Goliath. 
Martin Luther King Jr. went out on the street to protest against the racism. They did. All of them, they did something about it. That's faith and that's courage. Courage is not absence of fear. Faith is not absence of doubt. Having courage and faith is not about living in denial of the reality or living in a fantasy. We always stand before the reality that makes us fear and doubt. Do you think the courageous people never feel fear? They always feel fear. Do you think the faith people never doubt? They always doubt. But differences. When they see fear and doubt, instead of turning their eyes away, but they confront their own fear and doubt. They see straight into the face of fear, refusing to be intimidated by it. That's what true courage is. When you enter into fantasy, you don't even see the fear. You don't even feel the fear. Yesterday, uh, I defined and Lily Samonim asked about that definition about uh, faith. Canadian theologian Douglas Hall uh, saying, God and human suffering, he said, faith is not a shallow optimism which closes its eyes to the data of despair to maintain itself intact. Faith is not, on the other hand, an equally shallow pessimism which refuses to perceive even mystery, let alone meaning in and beyond the fate of mortal flesh whose beauty fades, whose life withers like the grass. Jesus saw the reality of this world as naked as it is. Its absurdity, Jesus saw absurd. Jesus saw human behaviors absurd. I mean, Jesus clearly saw the absurdity of human behaviors. Contradiction he saw. Hopelessness he saw. And pain he saw. But he didn't fall into pessimism. He was sad. He was in agony. He was angry. But he never ran away, never escaped into fantasy. He embraced the world, the world full of thorns. Trusting in God's mystery, he embraced the world full of thorns. Faith and courage even embrace failures, embrace despair, Embrace powerlessness. Embrace uncertainty. Embrace our doubts. But always hope, always wait, always pursue. While embracing all that, you never lose hope. Do you have courage to embrace yourself?
Embrace yourself, not because of great achievements you made, but in spite of many failures you made. I'm saying very important thing here. Not because of your great achievement, but in spite of your failures. That's the good news. God embraced you not because you are perfect. God knows that you are not. But God embraced you in spite of the fact that you are broken in many ways. These two are very, very different. We embrace our life not because everything is going well. But in spite of the fact that there are a lot of problems and difficulties we have to resolve. We embrace our life not because we see clearly the bright future, but in spite of the fact that your life is uncertain. If you embrace your life because of something, when that something is taken away, you have no more life. If you are happy because you have lost some money, if that money is taken away, your happiness is gone with it. But if you are happy in spite of the fact that you don't have money, even if that money is taken away, you are still happy. Embrace yourself not because you made it perfect, but in spite of the fact you made many failures. That's what God did. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. Among books, among books I read, I even encountered this title. I am well apart from the fact that I have cancer. Interesting book title. Her name is Javi Carroll. She's a philosopher. She went to the doctor and the doctor said, you have only 10 years to live. And from that point on, she started reflecting on her life. And as she wrote that book, in spite of the fact I have only 10 years to live, I'm not going to let that crush me down. I'm going to live happily in spite of the fact that I have only 10 years to live. So because of or in spite of, these two are very different things. If you learn to live your life in spite of, then you are very strong. Engage in life's pursuit of what you have passion for is not easy, my friends. That's why people don't do anything about it, even though they have passion. Because it's not easy. There are many frustrations, doubts, failures, and even despair. Many times we may feel like giving up. That's why we need faith and courage. You know, Gerald Jensen introduced another interesting Hebrew word, and that is nefesh. You read it as nefesh. 
meaning is life. Or original word is throat. And its meaning is appetite. It also has meaning of appetite. When the scripture says that Job, uh, Job lost everything of his life, he uses the word nefesh. He had a physical life, but he lost nefesh. It's very interesting because Korean word has two words too. For example, boksum and sengmyeong. Boksum is physical breath or physical life. Sengmyeong is nefesh. When you look at Genesis 2-7, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. It is nefesh. It's not just, I'm alive. It's a living being with full of appetite. Life without nefesh is not real life. Life without full of appetite is not real life. I see a lot of people living their lives without appetite, without nefesh. Life's nefesh should be restored. Do you know now Naomi? You know Naomi? Right? Bible figure? She, uh, uh, when, uh, she was an immigrant woman. She immigrated to another country, Moab. He's a, she's an Israelite. And then there, she lost her husband. She lost her two sons. And she lost everything. She had to come back to her homeland. And this is what she said. Call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Naomi is my sweet. Mara is bitter. Naomi lost her appetite. But at the end, her nefesh was restored through Ruth. I believe that God can restore our nefesh. That's when we become more than a mechanical being. Not only you have a passion, but you fully engage in your life, living out your passion. Finally, what we pursue with passion has to have an objective value. No matter how passionately Hitler might have engaged in what he believed in, I can, cannot say that his life was meaningful. No matter how successful you may be, if it is only for your own selfish greed and glory, I cannot say that it is meaningful life. What we pursue has to be more than me. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross for his own glory. He did that to give us the abundant life. The real meaningful life is possible actually only when you go beyond your self-absorption. We have to find something that we are passionate about, but that something has to be more than just for myself and my family and my friends. For example, helping out at the Evangel Hall is more than myself. Leading BOM 
serving at Teasdale. It doesn't have to be just church work. Even in your career, you can build a meaningful life. Help out the younger ones or help out the new immigrants. I cannot tell you what specifically is meaningful life, but I told you generally about three categories. Having passion, actively, active engagement, and third, objective value. As you look at these three categories, how would you see your life? You may have all the resources already. You just need to be more mindful of constructing a meaningful journey of your life. If you have money, then use it for something good purpose. If you have talent, use it for something good purpose. If you have time, use it for others. Meaning of life is not out there for you to go out and grab it. Meaning of life is made, formed, and shaped in your life. You may not need to change anything, but maybe simple attitude adjustment. Maybe that's all you need. You may not need to change anything, but simple attitude adjustment. God does not just move our story from bondage to freedom for ourselves. God does that so that you may also help others move from bondage to freedom. When God first called Abraham, what did he say? I will bless you so that you can live happily ever after. What did he say? I will bless you so that you may bless others. That's the meaning of life. God bless you so that you may bless others. As we live our meaningful life, you know, our stories will be weaved together and shape the liberating story of life from bondage to freedom. The present structure of life will not blindly dictate our life but our stories together will create a new pattern of living from bondage to freedom. We are creative agents of creating new life with the help of the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We don't do that alone. We do it together. We don't need a hero. We need each other. We need to share our stories with each other and these stories will empower us. Among you, I hope that these wonderful stories may come out. God has blessed you with so many talents and resources. I hope that you may be creative agents using your resources to bless others so that we may hear the story uh, from bondage to freedom, not only in you, but through you, in other people. God bless you. And live a meaningful life. So these are the things that 
I summarized for you last three uh, lectures. I hope that it helped you at least to reflect upon uh, the meaning of life a little bit. Any question you have? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> you 